0: Welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the young, hip, and lay editors of American Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Zach Davis.
1: Hello, Ashley.
0: Hello, Zach. And Vivian Cabrera. Hello, hello. Vivian, I know all the listeners are wondering, have you found all the Cadbury eggs?
2: Uh, bad news, or maybe maybe good news. Uh, no. <laughs> so the good news is there are still eggs to be found.
1: How many so that's left? That's super
2: exciting. Um, I think my roommate, I have three roommates, two of us have found five. So one more than last week.
1: <laughs> All right. So not good. Out of a total of?
2: 12. Good news is there's still seven left. I can do math. <laughs> you can do math.
1: <laughs> well... It's a good thing that Easter is a long season. Yeah. (laughs) So you've got some liturgical time to find the rest of them.
2: Although I'm pretty sure my roommate um, didn't hide them all at the same time. Because more keep popping up in places that I know I've searched for. Mm. So I think that's that's a pretty clever way of... Yeah, exactly.
1: And who are we talking to this week, Ashley?
2: We are talking to
0: Carrie Weber. She is an executive editor at American Media um, and the author of a prayer for the coronavirus
1: yes that's gone super viral um it's probably been it, it by far and large has been america media's most popular piece of content um since this pandemic started and it's been translated into several languages now um
0: yeah i think we have spanish italian korean chinese
1: yeah um pretty amazing you might find carrie to be a familiar voice uh you first heard her on jesuitical on episode 45, when we talk to her about America's special issue on women in the church.
0: And she's also the host of the Word Podcast, one of the other offerings from American Media. Uh, so why don't we bring her in?
3: Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Welcome to or welcome back to Judge What Call, Carrie. It is good to see all of you to talk to you. Where are you calling us from? Uh, the attic of my house in New Jersey which makes me sound like I'm in like a Dickens novel or something. Like I've just been hiding up here, like wearing my wedding dress or something for the whole time. But no, this is a very topical Miss Harsham ref- reference for everyone. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's what we bring you on for, Carrie. That's, that's what I'm here for, to bring you the timely Dickensian content to the pandemic.
1: Carrie, so you were the author of this coronavirus prayer that, um, now, hundreds of thousands of people have read and prayed with around the world. Uh, could you just talk about your process of writing
3: that prayer? Yeah, of course. So it started. Uh, I was volunteered, I think, by one of our coworkers, due to the fact that when we were still in the office, any time someone said the word coronavirus, I like physically moved away from people. Like in our huddle, I was like bristling just at the thought of this um and so i was nominated as the person clearly most terrified of what was about to happen and pa- it may have been a pastoral move on the, the part of my fellow editors of like clearly you need to take this to god so you don't completely freak out on the subway uh and so i uh i did and it felt like one of those nice times where um What we are doing in our work and in our office at the time and what's happening in our lives can kind of come together really nicely. It's one of the wonderful things about working for a place where your faith and your life intersect is that I got to take what was, frankly, genuine fear and channel that into something that was a conversation between me and God. Um, And it's... It's a strangely uh, personal thing, but it's also it's mm-hmm. also very much not at all about me. And so it's an interesting thing to write a prayer. Um, yeah, because it is because yeah, I, go ahead. Vivian.
2: Oh, yeah, because a prayer is a conversation like with you and God. So like what were some of the like images or um, like what did you see? What were you feeling as you were like kind of trying to figure out? what you wanted this prayer to look like because while it is um very personal it was still a prayer for other people to join you in on that journey that we're all kind of feeling and struggling to figure out what exactly we were feeling right
3: yeah i mean i literally uh went through some of the news articles and analysis that i had read recently and looked at like what are the things that uh some of the experts are saying we need to be concerned about. What are some of the things that our faith is directing us toward to be concerned about? Um, and how can I help kind of put those concerns into the form of, of petitions and um, things that are not um, – in a time that is very – uh, divided politically and people have really strong opinions about what people should and should not be doing during this time. I wanted it to be theoretically something that everyone could pray together. Um, and it thankfully seems to have, have worked out to some degree to, to, to be that.
0: Have, have you heard from anyone? Have have people reached out to you about using your poem in different, um, settings?
3: Yeah, so I have probably heard from more people about this prayer than I, anything that I've ever written in my life, um, which has been really nice, not because uh, it all comes in the form of praise, which it has not, but but much of it has been nice. <laughs> um, but because it reminds me of why we write such things in the first place, and it's about you know, connecting people—it's about feeling connected globally in a time when a lot of us are are very alone. Um, I mean, I've heard from people in Malaysia, in Ireland, in England, someone wrote and said she translated into Chinese and sent it to her mother in Wuhan, right? Like I've heard from, and one of the really nice things has also been that I've heard from a lot of people of different uh, denominations. So I've heard from like an Episcopalian bishop, I've heard from a Presbyterian minister, I've heard um, from a Lutheran pastor. So it's been really nice uh, to feel connected, not just within the Catholic world, but globally and within. Ecumenical and interfaith setting. I did hear from a Jewish writer who wrote back and was like, "Here, uh, I wrote a version of your prayer without all the Jesus references, and I think it works. <laughs> it, it works well in this context as well, which is great, right? So, I because I think one of the things about writing a prayer is that you have to just let go of it because it's not meant, it's not my essay. It's not me saying like, here's my story and my words and you have to use them exactly as I've put them. It's saying here is hopefully a useful thing that, uh, will start a conversation between you and God and you and your community. Um, and that's that's sort of what it's for, right? It's not to say I have found the perfect way to ask God about the coronavirus because obviously I have not. It's saying, here's what I've started with, and maybe you can work with this, uh, and that's and let's go from here together.
1: If we if we can maybe pivot to the Jesus part of the prayer, uh, you start off the prayer by referencing. I'll just read it: Jesus Christ. You traveled through towns and villages, quote, curing every disease and illness. I'm wondering if that was an image of Jesus you had prayed with before, or if this was something new.
3: I have prayed sort of to Jesus to ask, you know, for healing for people that I love um, in the past. But some, and that has depending upon sort of like my age and circumstance that has taken on different forms in terms of like how I expect that healing to occur, like, please, God, miraculously heal my grandfather or uh, please, God, help me to manage whatever the outcome of this illness is for this person I love. Um, So I think that my understanding of what that healing looks like uh, has probably matured over time. While I still you know, remain hopeful for actual physical healing for for people, um I thought about Jesus's role as a healer in a a very kind of concrete way in this in this sense, um, as I was writing this prayer that and thought about just the number, the sheer number of healings that are mentioned in the gospels and like that this has happened before um why can't we ask for that same healing power now um with the understanding that that we don't know exactly what form that will that will take um and that it it will this time probably come through Christ working through the people who are developing vaccines the healthcare workers on the front lines um the people who are but
1: it's not like a child it's not like a childish thing to ask for healing which is something i like when you're talking about like when you ask God for healing for people, and you're like before, that's something that I've struggled with, or feeling like I'm asking God to like do a magic trick or something. And no, so I often shied away from. Wanting I think
3: that. that's I think that's a really good point because I think if we can't ask God for what we actually want, then there's no point in praying, right? We have to just be super honest. We have to say like, what I really want, God, is for this person to be healed of X, Y, and Z, in this case, so many people from, you know, the COVID-19. And to understand that, A, miracles do happen, and it's okay to ask for them. B, that might not be the most common response, and that it's uh, okay to see God's work through other people. And C, we might not get what we ask for, and God remains with us even in those circumstances, and helps us to find spiritual and emotional healing to face the challenges that might come if there is no physical healing.
0: Carrie, I remember back in early March when you were uh, when you wrote this prayer uh, and I was talking to you about um, deciding when to go back to Virginia for the birth of my first niece. And you were very insistent at that point that I get out of New York City uh, and be safe and be in Virginia. Uh, And I think maybe you were like had a heightened awareness of the risk that the virus posed because you yourself are pregnant. Um, Do you think that's a, a fair assessment
3: <laughs> can I see into the future is this what I think
0: I think that um, you were just taking it more seriously than anyone else in our office much
3: earlier uh, yeah so I mean I feel like that's probably a fair assessment <laughs> I was I was pretty tuned in to all of this right from the start and part of it is because uh yeah because I am pregnant and because the implications for any illness for a pregnant woman, have the potential to impact uh, the child that they're carrying. And so I was trying to figure out, you know, what do I need to know or what do I need to take extra precautions? You know what? And the hard thing is that there's just not enough data to really know for sure, like what the, you know, the long-term effects are, whether the virus crosses the placenta. It looks like, you know, it, it doesn't now, which is good for women who are pregnant. But um, there's a million things that can complicate a pregnancy in a completely healthy environment. And so when you add a pandemic into that, uh, it and and I am sort of a, a naturally worrying person. And uh, so combining all of that meant that I was just like, uh, I'm going to protect my child. And I'm also going to protect Ashley. And I'm also going to protect Ashley's sister. And I'm also going to protect Ashley's sister's child. Like anybody I can attempt to protect as soon as possible, uh, I will do my best to keep them safe. Um, And I realize that this is a a luxury that I have as someone whose job is an editor where I don't have to be on the front lines. You know, I've heard from people whose spouses are pregnant and they're nurses, right? They don't have, and they're going to work and they're helping people who are sick with COVID-19. And it's, um, it's, it's heartbreaking, um, that people are put in these positions. And it's also amazing that people are willing to fill those roles and to step up and to do the jobs, um, that are being asked of them and to, to potentially make um sacrifices on behalf of the people they're trying to help.
2: Yeah. I um I have a lot of close friends who um who are currently pregnant and there's this it's such an interesting time of like joy and happiness and excitement of meeting your new child but also incredibly scary. And I'm so I'm wondering what have you found helpful throughout this process? Like is there anything that you're doing or like practices
3: that are kind of helping you slowly get through it? I have read The news less frequently than I was at the time when I was shielding Ashley from all viruses. (laughs) Um, I still obviously am keeping up with everything each day, but I'm not trying to read like the New York Times updates and being like, why hasn't it updated in the last five minutes? What has happened that they're not telling me? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, We try to go on socially distant, appropriate walks with my kids and my husband to just like literally get out of the house. The neighborhood's very quiet right now. Um, we have um, masks that we can wear and we just, and everyone in, that we've come across has been very good about like, ever like anytime I see anybody, which is actually not that frequently, people just automatically go to like the other side of the street or out into the road or whatever to avoid each other. So we've just trying to remember that like the world exists outside of my house and that it will Continue to exist, although, you know, in a, a different way as we go forward. Uh, and then trying to focus on, you know, obviously the things that I do have control over um, and writing through some of that, you know, writing this piece was, was part of that. Um, and praying and just um, realizing, like, I don't, I have no idea what the world is going to look like in July when my child is due to be born. And that I can imagine four billion different circumstances that it might be but I it doesn't really it's not a particularly useful pastime during um, this current moment so trying to just um, focus on on the things that I can control
1: yeah you write in your piece that I was really moved by this line that you're making your way in in darkness and, and but you try to trust I'm wondering, What you've learned through this process um, about what it means to trust God with all of these things.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that becoming a parent in general makes you realize how much is outside your control. Um, And then it makes you sort of hyper aware of the things that you are actually very responsible for Um, and trying to navigate which is which can sometimes be a challenge. When my daughter was five weeks old, she ended up getting viral meningitis uh, from... A virus that my son picked up from the single day we sent him to daycare in like the first 10 weeks of her life. Like the odds of all of this happening are just so low that he would get it, that he would get it the day he went there, that he would somehow pass it to her despite everything that we had done, and that she would end up in the hospital. Like it kind of filled me with this dread of like, oh my gosh, all the worst things that are could have happened lined up to happen. So there is this sort of sense of like, oh my gosh we tried everything we could do to prevent this and it and it still happened. Um, and in one level, it was horrifying and another level was kind of weirdly freeing. Like we did what we could and whatever happens now, we just, we live with. And then the end result of that was that, thankfully, she was, she's okay. Like she, there's a kind of meningitis you can get where you're okay and there's a kind that you're not okay. And out of all of those odds, the odd that really mattered in the end ended up being uh in our favor in that like i think there's this sense that i also feel that my children as much as i have a responsibility for them are gods and they will go back to god and that they are not my things that i own they are people and they are children of god and they belong to god and they're not mine to kind of keep for myself or um, to, to to be selfish about, that being willing to let go of certain things around them is, is as important as knowing what I need to be doing to take care yeah. of them. But, so my niece, which
0: thankfully I was in Virginia for her birthday <laughs> at your encouragement, <laughs> uh, she was born on March 11th, which happened to be the day that the World Health Organization called... Named this a, a pandemic, but at that point, even then, it, I don't think it had really sunk in how much it was going to change everything about our lives. Um, so, you know, my family was able to be at the hospital the night that my niece was born and the days afterwards to support um, my sister and her husband. And I'm wondering how you're how you're planning <laughs> the communal aspect of of pregnancy because I, you know, like. I don't know. <laughs> what I guess like you said you're not you don't we don't know what the world's going to look like in July, but are you are you preparing for like, I don't know, like different contingencies around that about involving your family?
3: Yeah. Um yeah, so I think that the immediate sort of communal response will likely be much smaller than it has for my other two kids. Um I also feel very protective of my parents who are over 65 and who, uh, you know, the plan is my mom will come down a week or two ahead of the due date and stay with us for a little while, hang out with my kids when we go to the hospital. They'll all come happily visit us at the hospital and then we'll all go home. Um, No children are allowed at the hospital. For a brief period of time, um, uh, pregnant women were not allowed to bring anyone to the hospital with them at the hospital I was staying at. So do whether it was a doula or a spouse or a significant other um they quickly switch that to one person because everybody completely freaked out um and that is the plan now is you know my husband and I go if we can if we can get my mom here on time you know um but we also don't want to come once we're in the hospital we will have potentially been exposed to the virus, right? This is the same hospital where they're treating a lot of people uh, with the virus. They keep the maternity ward very separate, obviously, but I don't know, you never know. So the likeliest situation is that my mom comes, stays with us, watches the kids when we go, um, we come home, we, she gets into her car, we get out of our car, we show her the baby through the window, and then she drives home, which is like just so different than uh, in the past or how I imagined it. And it's kind of heartbreaking. But if it also means that my mom gets to live, just see my grand uh, my child and her grandchild grow up, then that's a trade I'm willing to make. And so I have taken some comfort in the kind of strange overlap that these three things have provided in my life. Um, this phrase everything has changed that applies to the pandemic to my pregnancy to the resurrection all at once and i can kind of draw strength from the resurrection aspect of that to deal with the other two parts of it
2: okay carrie well thank you so much for um for sharing that um please know we're going to be praying for you and for all um, women who are currently going through this pandemic uh while pregnant But before we let you go, um, you kind of already know the drill. This is your second time um, on the show, as we mentioned. Um, So if you could canonize anyone, Catholic or not, living or dead, who would it be and why? Uh, I do want to remind you, uh, the first time around, I was not here, but I believe you canonized Catherine Macaulay, who's an Irish nun. And so you can't choose uh, her again.
3: (laughs) Uh, all right, I will not. But you guys, you should be working on these causes, right? I thought this was sort of like an official way to, to like, because I'm a little disappointed that she's not actually canonized by now. But uh, so this time around, uh, this might this might take a little longer, uh, but I think I would nominate Anthony Fauci right now. Ah. He has been like a, a rock for me throughout this process. Remind our listeners who he is. Yes. So Anthony Fauci uh, is the director of the National uh, Institute for Allergy and Infectious Diseases. He has been seen frequently standing uh, behind President Trump at his daily coronavirus press briefings. Um, He has, I thought, I think, been a very steady force pushing for uh, good information for people that will help people to make good decisions, to navigate this crisis in a way that is as calm as possible. Um, but also with an appropriate amount of, of urgency. Uh, yeah, I've just really appreciated that. And he's been very honest with, I think, as far as I can tell, you know, from my infectious disease background with, uh, <laughs> with people, uh, in, in general in, in the country and with the president. Um, and I, I appreciate someone willing to stand up for the truth and what, and, uh, what they think is, uh, the common good. And so, uh, and also there's a bakery, I think in Boston, who's making like Anthony Fauci, uh, cupcakes or like putting his face on them. I mean, like if that's not a first step toward canonization, then it could be cooked. We should mention he
0: was Jesuit educated, both high school and college, right? (laughs) Men for others,
3: women for others. (laughs) There, there he is. Um, so that's, that's, St. Anthony Fauci. Yeah.
1: So he'd be St. Anthony of, uh, of Brooklyn, I think. So, I, I mean, I'll take it. Yeah,
3: we'll claim this one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, so I would uh, hope you start working on these now. Okay, yes. yes. Thank you. Our memo yeah, is,
1: I, I'm sure our memo is languishing somewhere at the Vatican, but we'll try to send up another.
3: You have to uh, put a wax seal on it. That's you, the
1: key. Ah, gosh, I wish someone to told me all these rules before <laughs> uh you can carry people can hear you on the word podcast which is uh in american media's podcast network um and they can also find you at america media's website americanmagazine.org uh, where we'll put links to um both these really beautiful both the prayer and the reflection you wrote on being pregnant during this time we'll put those in our show notes uh thank you so much for joining us and uh, we'll see you next time
3: thank you i'm really honored to be with you as always thanks Gary.